We like this guy. He works with his hands. He knows a skill. He's good at it. He's been developing it for years, and he makes money, and he'll always have work. Unless the woke mob gets in the way. You know they are trying to screw up everything. They see racism everywhere. And quite frankly, it doesn't matter what color you are. It's happening where he works. It's happening in so many unsuspecting places like this institution, the Guggenheim Museum in New York. Have you ever heard of it? Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright designed this uh, facility. It's, uh, it's the first museum I visited on a field trip in the fourth grade. It is pretty cool. It's not my thing. It wasn't my choice, but take a look at it now. It's, uh, well, it's the same classic design inside. It's got like a ramp, and uh, it's a very cool place. Um, I'm less bored there than I am at other museums. And they have things like this, a Lichtenstein. Uh, he does like cartoon stuff, but it's art. Totally fine museum as far as museums go. And then some guy named George Floyd, something terrible happened to him, and the whole world blew up, including institutions, people, places that have absolutely nothing to do with that matter, but everybody overreacted. So the museum has been jumping through all kinds of hoops. I want to tell you about that. There's a guy named Mr. Armstrong who's been in charge of the museum since 2008. You may notice that he's white. You may notice that he's of a certain age. Well, that's not cool anymore. And right after George Floyd, all hell broke loose in that museum. It was perfectly fine until August of 2020. And then the complaints started coming forward. Let's see. Number one, this place, the Guggenheim, is an inequitable institution, work environment that enables racism, white supremacy, and other discriminatory practices. Wow. White supremacy, racism, all that stuff in a museum where they hang pictures on the wall. Yeah, so they had this great big moment and a discussion. And it wasn't just, oh, do we have enough people of color who work here? What about the people who come to the museum? Take a look at this. They did a study, and it found that nearly 73% of museum visitors identified as white. By comparison, the city's population is about 43% white. You see that? Too many white people going to the museum, ruining it for everybody. How can this be? So what do they do? Launch a whole new plan, right? Do everything the woke mob, the culture is calling for at this moment. Therefore, everything will be fine, correct? It goes on. The Guggenheim Museum has approved a plan to address complaints of entrenched racism within its walls. Wow. The museum announced to its staff a two-year initiative to create policies for reporting discrimination and developing diversity programs, according to Richard Armstrong, the museum's director. Uh, that's that guy we were talking about a little while ago. Same dude. All right. New measures include paid internships, opportunities for students from underrepresented backgrounds, a partnership with historically black colleges, and universities to promote job openings. Wow, they are doing and saying all the right things. This is important. They want the creation of an industry-wide professional network for people of color working at arts organizations. Wow, all right? I mean, they are, going, they are jumping through hoops here. Finally, what will this provide the museum? They put it this way. The effort to make a change is an opportunity for us to engage in a beneficial dialogue to become a more diverse, equitable, and welcoming organization 
for all. Wow, who wouldn't want to work there? Well, I think Mr. Armstrong would probably have liked to have stick, stuck around a little bit longer, but he's out. He is out. Just announced his resignation this week. When you give in to the mob, and I can't speak to the specifics of this case. Maybe it was totally personal reasons, just like the lady who was a curator there for a long time, and she was accused of racism, and she took a three-month sabbatical and was ultimately cleared of racism. This is, uh, this is tough stuff, all right? I really think the reason why he's being edged out is because he's white and of a certain age, doesn't matter how experienced you are, how much you know. It's just not chic anymore. People like this, Cesar Conde of NBC, I mean, I, I guess he's whatever. Well, it doesn't matter what he is. Look what he wants to do to the workforce there. We aspire to achieve two concrete goals. 50% of our news organization employees will be women and 50% of our total workforce, people of color. Okay, content of our character, that doesn't have anything to do with it. It's all about looks these days. How is this supposed to make any white person feel? Somebody like me. I guess I will never work there. That's fine. I won't be working there for a lot of reasons. Um, look, it's all a gross overreaction. Watch any TV commercials lately? <laughs> look at this, though. See somebody step this game up, huh? Game over. Made for grand entrances. The all-new Tundra. First team across and checking. Hi, checking in? Yo, it's me, Megan Azalea. You can get all sorts of things delivered from the neighborhood. <laughs> the neighborhood? All from the people in your neighborhood. The people that you meet when you're walking down the street. <laughs> Hey, it's totally cute. I like all those commercials. Um, but what happened to all the white people? Uh, where, where are the white actors? Now, we are in a position that being white is now a liability in certain fields, certainly in the arts and others. So George Floyd, something horrible happens to him, but people who had nothing to do with it are now not finding themselves cast in certain roles or being asked to do jobs that they are very good in or perhaps continuing jobs that they already have. So what do they do? They apologize. They try to placate the mob. They try to say, look, I'm good. Look at how righteous I am. And they do it in the most obnoxious way. I take responsibility. I take responsibility. I take responsibility. I take responsibility for every unchecked moment, for every time it was easier to ignore than to call it out for what it was. Every not so funny joke, every unfair stereotype, every blatant injustice, no matter how big or small. Every time I remained silent, every time I explained away police brutality or turned a blind eye. I take responsibility. Black people are being slaughtered in the streets killed in their own homes. These are our brothers and sisters, our friends, our family. We are done watching them die. We are no longer bystanders. We will not be idle. Enough is enough. 
did uh, they look like they did that? Were they forced to do that? I'm never going to be in a video like that. I don't want to see anybody die, but I'm never going to be in a video like that. And this person, this is actress Piper Biabo, something like that. So she said she's not going to be uh, idle. Uh, well, she's still making the same old crummy movies and TV shows. Uh, I don't see anything there about racial justice. I don't know. Look, I think it was just words, a silly stunt. Look how righteous we are. And that actually works in Hollywood. That works in a big, that works with Democrats and in the mainstream media. Um, and this does too. And it's particularly offensive, I think. White men putting themselves down. Usually they have a lot of money and a lot of power so they can get away with this. I'm white. I'm old. I should take a step back. I'm asking for trouble here because here I am, an old, old white guy talking about race relations. But you're a mean, mad white man. The Republican Party is primarily a bunch of old white men and old white women. You've got to offer something more than just being the next old white guy in line. Uh, just an old gray-haired white guy in a suit, you know. Fairly boring. Maybe somebody like me, you know, an old white guy working for the government, doesn't quite have the same credibility with people out in the community. You see... It's a free country. You can say whatever you want, but that is having a poisonous effect on the country. This kind of attitude. White people shut up, sit down, stand back, speak for yourself. Some of us, you know, we still we still have ambition. We still want to go places. OK, Matthew Dowd, who is a political strategist for George W. Bush, of all people, actually said this out loud. Us white male Christians need to step back and give others room to lead. He may have changed his mind on that. He ran for lieutenant governor in Texas. I don't think that worked out very well. Um, what a lot of these elites are doing, playing dead, virtue signaling, uh, so the mob leaves them alone and they can retain their power. But it screws up everybody else. Animals do this thing. Uh, ducks playing dead. Take a look. See? Watch this. That duck is alive. <laughs> there he goes. Does that make sense? I hope it does. I feel like they are, oh, we're not going to offend anybody. We just don't pick on us for now. Being submissive, then the threat goes away. They still retain their power. Regular people don't act like this. Regular people, regular Americans fight. They stand up. They are not going to be bullied, especially at work. Take a look at these heroes, people who are getting hassled at work, like Joseph DiBenedetto, 20 years at AT&T, an assistant vice president, fired with nine other white males after company released diversity initiative. He has filed a discrimination lawsuit. Good for him. These things have a way of working out. Next, please. We have David Duvall, fired, given no reason, replaced by a white woman and a black woman, two people. He won a $10 million reverse discrimination lawsuit. Also, uh, this, James Damore, fired after questioning diversity practices at Google. He alleges discrimination for being white and conservative. I bet that's going to work out in his favor. It's happening. It's happening everywhere. You know, life is tough enough. Don't hold things we can't control against us, whether you're black and gay. You can't change that. I can't change that I'm white and a male and all these things. All right. Life is tough enough for everybody. Have you seen this number? <laughs> Inflation, 9.1%.
I think we all need a break, don't you? Let's take one right now. We'll be back with uh, the key difference between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. What is the key difference between these two? There are a million, but there's one that's not talked about very often. We'll be right back. Federal agencies urge every family to have an emergency radio. During any disaster, electrical power may get cut. The emergency radio gives you the vital information you need. Newsmax wants you to have the Dynamo Emergency Band Radio. It doesn't need batteries and works in any emergencies. It retails for $30. You can get it with the free offer. Call or go online and get the emergency radio today. Your life may depend on it. So, this is a joke. This is inflation. This is inflation in America under Joe Biden. 9.1%. You know, it was less than 2%. 2%. 1.9% under Donald Trump. And here, I believe, is the key reason. Uh, President Biden, career politician for almost, how long has it been? Uh, since 1972? Uh, 1970. No private sector experience. No meaningful private sector experience to speak of. Doesn't understand this stuff at all. Knows how to ask for favors. Spend other people's money. Smile. Donald Trump, on the other hand, not much of a smiler, come to think of it, uh, but he's real. He's authentic. And yes, decades, decades of private sector experience. The Treasury Secretary right now, uh, a woman named Janet Yellen, um, she's had some senior government positions and many years in academia. I do not count that as private sector life. You don't have to worry about the bottom line. No real private sector experience. Compare that to a guy named Steven Mnuchin, uh, Treasury Secretary under Trump. Yeah, guy became a multi, multi, multi millionaire, might even be a billionaire. Plenty of private sector experience. That was his first stint in government. And one more, Secretary of State Tony Blinken. He's been a staff guy, obviously not a leader, by the way. No meaningful private sector experience, except for three short years when he cashed in after leaving uh, the Obama administration. That's no contest with Mike Pompeo. He made a fortune in the aviation business and oil. Lots of private sector experience, in addition to some key government posts. You know, I thought of something today. Back in the 1980s, when Joe Biden was running for president the first time, business, the entire culture, they were, well, number one, they were fixated on Donald Trump. That's when he really emerged as a superstar. But there was something in the air. People talked about excellence. One of the most important books on business came out in the 1980s, In Search of Excellence. And people talked about it all the time. Excellent. How do we make our company excellent? How do we be excellent? You don't hear about that anymore, do you? No. You hear about, how do I reach my real truth? How do I express myself? How do I, what's more important than my sexual identity? Nothing. <laughs> what about excellence? What about your relationship with God? All these things have been eclipsed. And I have this theory, and I've expressed it before, that it might all have something to do with what happened in Uvalde. We'll get to that in a moment. Law enforcement, as you know, is under fire. It's crazy what's happening to them. You know, are you able to pursue excellence when you're fighting for survival like these cops are, these riots? I mean, this is a, this is a tough job in so many ways. And we've labeled them, our society, what? Racists. Uh, they're instruments of the state, vestiges of slavery. 
That's incredibly unfair, and I think it, <laughs> it hinders them from pursuing excellence. Now let's go to Uvalde, the horrible, tr- horrible situation that happened there. 19 children, two adults. Now this video has emerged. You can actually see the shooter come down the hallway. It's so chilling. I've never seen anything like this. We saw grainy footage from Columbine, but this is in color. And here he is on his way to murder children. He's just 19 years old and he's going to kill kids. And he's about to do it in a few seconds. This is tough to watch, folks. We don't see any of the actual carnage, but you're going to hear some bullets. And this video is, well, it's haunting, but I think we actually have to watch it. actually mercifully edited out the screams of the children. You can actually do that in an audio booth. And then the police arrive. Actually, just about two minutes later, they could have saved lives, but instead this happened. poised to make an entry, but they don't. They run. I know it's a tough job, but part of the job is potentially dying in the line of duty. I say this as someone who's felt bullets, who's been in war zones. It's not easy, but it's mandatory. I can't believe what happened. And I can't believe that they just essentially loitered afterwards. And it goes on like this. It goes on. And what do they do? They wait for supervisors. They wait for other equipment. They talk to each other. They wash their hands. There is a gunman in a classroom with children. Now, why? I'm sure these are... Why? Why could this... How could this have happened? Is it micromanagement? Is it risk avoidance? Is it self-doubt? Is it fear of a mistake? I could actually see some of that, but I can't see. I can't see it, actually. Uh, We have to, I think we've got problems, big problems. If it can happen there, it could happen to people in other lines of work. Are we all waiting around for permission? Is that who we become? Scared? Are we scared? Are we too scared? Well, this is a wake-up call, I think, for everybody. Those 19 children and two teachers died because people were afraid what their boss might say. I I just, I still can't get my, I I just, I, I don't think I ever will. And this, and this, the New York City Police Department, the greatest police department in the world, one of the biggest, by the way, 
has just issued an order that the police officers essentially will be able to smoke marijuana. NYPD no longer permitted to drug test for marijuana. Wow. There is no test, they say, for marijuana that conclusively determines current intoxication, making it impossible to determine by drug tests alone whether an employee has tested positive for marijuana because of improper use on the job or use during statutorily protected off hours. Okay, cops can smoke it at home. It can have a lingering effect, can it? Yeah, I think it can. The department should only drug test a member of service for marijuana if there is a reasonable suspicion that the member is impaired by marijuana on the job in such a manner that impacts their job duties. All right, this will be interpreted and is already being interpreted as you can smoke. And we'll have later in the show some of the harmful effects from one of the top experts in the country on smoking marijuana. But this is something I think our mayor really wanted to happen. Our new mayor, his name is Eric Adams, and he's clueless. And he was really anxious to smoke pot and give it away. Can you imagine? Where have we come? Take a look. He's on the night show, the late show, for the first time. And look at what he does. One of my best gifts, as you know, marijuana is legal. I have raw. I did not know. I have raw. I am not aware, Mr. Mayor. I'm not into that scene. I have bamboo. Oh, you know, big. And I can't give you this gift. I'll give it to you later, you know. <laughs> He's having a good time. Um, you know, it's been illegal for basically 100 years. And 10 minutes ago, they said it's okay to smoke. There are so many bad things associated with this drug. Again, one of the top experts, any former New York City police commissioner, will join us soon. In the meantime, uh-oh, Cassidy Hutchinson, I told you she was a great big phony and a fraud. And now we have conclusive proof. Stay with us. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and I want to give each and every one of you one last chance to get my original My Slippers. Go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen now. Use your promo code and you'll get your very own My Slippers for only $49.98. That's $90 off and the biggest savings ever. What makes My Slippers different is my exclusive four-layer design that you won't find in any other slippers. My Slippers patented layers make them ultra comfortable, extremely durable, and they help reduce stress on your feet. Not only that, they come with an indoor-outdoor sole so you can wear them anytime, anywhere. I guarantee they'll be the most comfortable slippers you'll ever own. And now you can get them for the best savings ever, only $49.98. Go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen now to get your very own My Slippers for only $49.98. That's $90 off. We have extremely low quantities, and once they're gone, they're gone. So order now. All, All I, I can say is that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? No, they don't. You know, they were giving Starbucks a hard time. I'm not a big Starbucks fan as far as their coffee goes. I do like their egg white bites. All right, there's Starbucks. One of the things, one of the problems, there's always a line. But Starbucks is a great company, okay? People like their product. So what happened? The woke mob targeted them and the lamestream media went along with it. 
Two black men who are arrested in the Philadelphia Starbucks store are breaking their silence. Business partners Dante Robinson and Rashawn Nelson say they feared for their lives as the incident last week escalated. A manager called police to complain that the men asked to use the bathroom but did not buy anything and refused to leave. Police then took them away in handcuffs, but no charges were filed. Starbucks has since apologized and announced that it will be conducting racial bias training for all of its employees. What happened in the way that incident escalated and the outcome was nothing but reprehensible. And I'm sorry. If we can't get it, shut it down. If we can't get it, shut it down. You know, you can't win sometimes. So they tried to do the right thing. Uh, they appeased the woke mob, but the problem is not going away. The homelessness, the drugs, the so they have to close uh, more than a dozen locations. Starbucks closing some stores, citing safety concerns in certain cafes. And uh, let's go through it, please. Due to safety concerns, homelessness, drug abuse, and social unrest. This is happening at the end of July. These are all over the country. And you can see it. Homelessness, all kinds of problems, a very tense atmosphere uh, in these facilities. And uh, it's very, very regrettable, but inevitable. And it's interesting how the media immediately took the side of those who claimed racism, who claimed mistreatment. They never saw it from management's perspective or the baristas, for that matter, the people who work there, who are often, by the way, you know, working class people, often people of color. A very silly conversation about that. And now they're closing stores. All right. Who remembers this when Joe Biden put those signs in front of the White House? I mean, a little bit of compassion, courage, healing, kindness. Uh, Remember, Joe Biden came in as uh, Mr. Empathy. Your empathy has become a trademark of your presidency. I saw from Joe Biden tonight with someone who showed empathy. It also seemed he wanted to, to change, uh, turn the page in terms of tone and really set a tone of empathy. So it wasn't a policy heavy speech. It was uh, empathetic. He focused on empathy. In addition to that compassion and empathy that he displayed today, he seeks to go to the root of the problem. I think empathy is a critically important thing. But I think one of the reasons that Joe was elected was because of his sense of empathy. Stop saying empathy. Nobody talks about empathy. They talk about sympathy. They don't talk about empathy. And most people, quite frankly, can't describe the difference. I mean, empathy is really a higher level thing. You're actually feeling what the other person is going through. That's very hard to do. Sympathy That's easier. And it's just as legitimate. But empathy, empathy. He's all about empathy. Is he really? Did you see this? My whole soul is in this. Bringing America together, uniting our people, uniting our nation. Do you want to be on the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis? or Bull Connor. We can see each other, not as adversaries, but as neighbors. We can treat each other with dignity and respect. In the the same camp. No, uh, I didn't say that. Look what I said. Go back and read what I said. Hear me clearly. This agreement must not lead to disunion. And I pledge this to you. I will be a president for all Americans. All Americans. Wait, 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 wait. We can 
join forces, stop the shouting and lower the temperature. For without unity, there is no peace. You said I set up my son to work on an oil company. Then now what you said? Get your work straight, Jack. How did this guy become Mr. Empathy, huh? How about that for the fake news? Mr. Empathy, no such thing. We'll be right back. Real heroes. Real conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now, there's a place America gets its news. No agenda. Just the facts. Newsmax. Real news for real people. Tony described him as being irate. The president said something to the effect of, I'm f***ing president, take me up to the Capitol now. To which Bobby responded, sir, we have to go back to the West Wing. Oh my goodness, what a bombshell. Cassidy Hutchinson relating a story that she heard from somebody who heard it from a friend that the president was involved in, and so on and so on and so on. The media thought this was incredible. I... I saw right through it. She was giving third-hand testimony. Former uh, aide to Mark Meadows, the fake news did go crazy in a positive way. You know, they loved her. Take a look. Cassidy Hutchison uh, was an exemplary witness who demonstrated remarkable courage and character. Cassidy Hutchinson made a brave choice today. She was a great witness. She was absolutely precise. She was just brilliant. Cassidy Hutchinson, who was very brave to come forward today. Cassidy Hutchinson was a name and face unknown to most Americans. By the end of the day, she'd made history. Oh, wrong fake news. And thank you to the Daily Caller. Another fascinating story. Cassidy Hutchinson begged senior Trump officials for financial assistance after being subpoenaed by the J6 committee, one she called a BS committee. We thank Henry Rogers, the senior congressional correspondent at the Daily Caller, who joins us now. Henry, a fantastic story. And welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? Hey, Greg, I'm great. I appreciate it. So, look, this should totally change the narrative. The media fell in love with their story. Uh, They pretended it wasn't hearsay. Um, Thank you for your story. So tell us who Cassidy Hutchinson is really. Well, you know, it turns out every senior Trump official who I've talked to in the story and otherwise about Cassidy Hutchinson um, seems seems to have the same conclusion on her. And that is that she's completely made up everything that she said in public that she has completely, uh, you know, exaggerated her her role in the White House. Uh, And the Secret Service has even, you know, come out and said, you know, we will testify under oath. This is not true, what you're saying. So what I've done is I've obtained an email of her reaching out to all these Trump officials in February of this year. Uh, And she is basically begging them all for assistance, legal help, financial help, um, and all of these things, asking for literally, quote, unquote, financial help. She had to put her, she says her uncle and aunt had to put their house up. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Trump's PAC gave her assistance and, you know, things didn't work out. I guess the lawyer didn't like it or whatever, however it played out. CNN and, and whoever, Liz Cheney, I'm guessing, probably dragged mm. in Cassidy, found her a lawyer. And here she is. She's their star witness. And we're all supposed to believe all the crazy things Cassidy has to say. Uh, I just find it really interesting, Greg. I think it's I think it's completely it's wild what the media has done here. 
and the way they've egged her up and put her on a prop. It's wild. So the emails that you've uncovered, let's put some of them up. Uh, number one, full screen one. Uh, and it says right there, primarily seeking financial assistance. Uh, I'm in a bind financially. Uh, next, uh, was hoping you may be able to put me in contact with any fundraising organizations and or attorneys that are involved in the process. Now, um, I see, I think it's redacted, the person she's writing to, but describe you know, the level of person she's actually, who, who is this in Trump world, if you can say? Right. So I'm not going to name any names, obviously, because I've granted these people anonymity for, for reasons they were, they were subpoenaed. You know, all the people who I've quoted in this story have been, been subpoenaed by the January 6th committee. So obviously none of them, them want their names uh, close to this story. So I got this from a source. I will say this. Everyone who's in the story had worked closely with her in the West Wing or just in some capacity with the Trump campaign. They know her well. They have had meals with her, sat down with her. Uh, communicated with her a ton. So every one of these people uh, knows Cassie extremely well, has known her for years, has been working for her, and they've got to see firsthand what she saw. And, you know, a lot of these people, Greg, I'll tell you, they were just stunned when they saw her testify. They were like, is this the same girl who was being ordered around? You know, go get this, go get that, go print my papers off, go get this coffee for me. Uh, now who's claiming to have some of the most damning testimony the January 6th committee has seen yet, um, that none of it's been proved to be true at all, too, but I guess all the mainstream media has been taking up. It's really interesting to me, Greg, how, you, how that's been working. Uh, so you also reported previously text messages that were uncovered, full screen number one, uh, to a senior Trump official. Hey, this is Cassidy Hutchinson, full screen two. I was subpoenaed in early November, but the committee waited to serve me until last week. And then uh, it goes on full screen three. I'm on a tight deadline and just trying to figure out what my options are to deal with this BS, BS seeming to be the uh, committee. You know, I'll just also point out, and I love your thoughts on this, other high ranking or high ranking, other former aides in the Trump White House, they, uh, women, by the way, whatever, they seem to be vying for places on The View. Three of them have secured not just guest appearances, guest hosting spots. Uh, we've got uh, the former communications director, two of them, actually, and Olivia Troy, who worked for Vice President Trump. I feel like she's next in line. Like, Cassidy, you kind of demonstrated how she was really down on her luck financially. This is part of the roadmap. You know, you don't just uh, get to be a witness. You get a media career out of it. No, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more, Greg. I think what she's looking for is a book deal, a CNN contract, or the View, if she's lucky enough to get the View. Uh, and you know, and that's exactly what she's looking for here. Again, the financial trouble is very damning when it comes to all of this, and the timing in February of just before you know this year. She's this year of February. She's talking about how much financial trouble she's in. Her uncle, her aunt, having to, to refinance their house, having trouble with that. So I'm just I'm, I, I I find it very interesting the timing and how. You flipped so hard from being a loyal Trump supporter who was going to go down and work for Trump in Mar-a-Lago uh, after the White House. And then it turns out they didn't want her. And now it turns out she's just spinning off the wheels and kind of making up things, it, it appears. And um, as, as we wrap up, if we could show the note that she says she wrote, I am not a handwriting expert. I'm not a graphologist. But she said this was her handwriting. There is no way in the world 
a woman wrote that note, and we now have it from uh, another attorney, Hirschman, I believe. He says it was his writing, so we know. I am totally convinced she was consciously lying. But to be continued, Henry Rogers, thank you, and thanks to everybody at The Daily Caller. We appreciate it so much. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate it. You bet. We'll be right back. The greatest police department in the world, in my opinion, has just, uh, well, I think taken a major step back, perhaps. The NYPD, according to a city order, no longer permitted to drug test for marijuana as a condition for employment or uh, in the course of the job. What does this mean? Is this a good idea? You already know how I feel. I'd like to bring in Bernie Carrick, former NYPD commissioner. He was there on 9-11 under Rudy Giuliani. And Luke Niferatos, he the executive vice president of Smart Approaches to Marijuana, uh, an organization against the legalization of marijuana. Welcome to you both. Commissioner, first to you. What do you think? You can smoke pot, essentially, in the NYPD. I think that's how it's going to be interpreted. Well, I think that is how it's interpreted. And what concerns me is you have 40,000 men and women um, that are charged with going out and enforcing the law, who carry deadly weapons, uh, firearms. Um, we know that marijuana diminishes the mental and physical faculties, uh, slows, uh, slows people down. And I, as the police commissioner, would not want any of my members of the service uh, to be under the influence of marijuana or anything else, for that matter, um, going out to do the job that they have to do because it's going to endanger the public, it's going to endanger themselves, and it's going to endanger the men and women that work side by side with them. That's how I feel. So, Luke, uh, I agree with the police commissioner, but, you know, Nationwide, everybody seems to be like, hey, what's your problem? I hear it all the time. You don't understand. It's helped my aunt with her glaucoma. You don't understand, Greg. Uh, I guess I maybe don't understand. Can you please tell us technically why this is a bad idea? Well, this is a terrible idea, Greg. I got to tell you, in an era where law enforcement literally has a planet-sized magnifying glass over their shoulder, everyone's questioning their judgment right now, which, by the way, I completely disagree with. God bless law enforcement. But there's a planet-sized you know, magnifying glass over their shoulders, and what we're saying is we are not going to test them for marijuana use. And literally, we just had a New York Times article come out last week talking about the psychosis, talking about the schizophrenia, the mental illness problems that this today's high-potency marijuana is causing right now. This is the last thing our law enforcement needs. We need to be giving them a supportive structure, supporting them to do their jobs and execute uh, public safety out in our communities. And, you know, sending the message that marijuana is no big deal when all the science is telling us the exact opposite um, I think is dangerous. It's dangerous for law enforcement. It's dangerous for our communities. And, you know, for everybody else, it's it's so potent now, but every more people are doing it than ever before. You can do it on the street and not get hassled. Commissioner, I mean, for a long time, it was illegal. If you smoked a joint in public, there was a damn good chance you'd get arrested. Now it's as commonplace as a vape stick. It's just everywhere. It's like sipping a soda. Uh, I'm a kind of I, I still can't get over it. How, do, how does it strike you when you see it, when you smell it? Well, listen, I, I feel the same way you do. Um, you know what? Uh, but it seems to be all over. And you have the mayor of the city of New York promoting it. Um, so, you, you know, you have to take it for what it's worth. My problem is 
You don't need people in jobs like law enforcement, uh, airplane pilots, commercial drivers. Um, you know, these people have dangerous jobs, um, jobs that if your mental and physical faculties are diminished, you're going to hurt someone, including yourself and the people around you. Um, you know, and, and as Luke just said, there's no profession today that has a bigger magnifying glass over over them than our law enforcement communities around the country. None. Yeah. So you're going to put them in this position where the perception is it's OK. You can go out and do what you want. Um, I, I just think it's dangerous and it's wrong. Luke, do me a favor. You remember that whole thing? And Commissioner, I'm sure you remember it. Reefer Madness. It was an old movie from the 50s. And uh, can you possibly taking a step away from the law enforcement angle? Because so many people have been told it, that, you know, it's harmless. It's fine. Can you, Luke, just tell us, please, what's wrong with it? Why should people not do it? Yeah, well, if you think weed is about joints, I think a lot of people think about joints, Woodstock days. Uh, I wasn't around for the Woodstock days, but I hear it was pretty crazy. This is nothing like that, okay? What we're talking about now is supercharged weed, 99% potency. They're dabbing it. If you don't know what dabbing is, look it up. You will be very frightened at what you're seeing our youth doing all across this country right now. Um, it's so high potent that it's much more addictive than it's ever been. Um, so people are getting addicted to this. Um, actually, we saw a 25% increase in states like mine, Colorado, first state to legalize marijuana. All legal states, 25% increase in youth addicted to marijuana right now in this country. So um, we are seeing huge effects on our youth. And you'll look at the roads. I mean, in New York, you know, back in 2019, there was a limo driver got high on weed, was driving. Um, 20 people got either killed or hurt um, in that limo. It was a big story in New York. We're seeing lots of that stuff happening across states that have legalized it. So, you know, reefer madness is kind of long gone. That was about joints and none of that was scientifically based. All the science is telling us this new marijuana that's supercharged, damaging your mental health, damaging on the roads, and it's damaging our youth. We need to do something about it. Well, I, uh, I can attest to this firsthand. I have uh, tried it, I would say, four times in my life. The last time was the last time. And you may remember the tweet I put out about it. I, I summarized my experiences. This is a true story. Smoking weed, a.k.a. grass, is not a good idea. I've tried it back in the day. And it was worse than anything that happened to Hunter Biden. I toked up with some buddies in Kentucky. This is all true, by the way. And woke up four days later in Nairobi, Kenya, with no idea what happened. Don't do drugs. I'm serious, folks. That was a nightmare. Uh, finally, Commissioner... Um, the drunk driving aspect. Yeah, law enforcement can't. We we don't have breathalyzers for this stuff, right? No, they don't have breathalyzers. You can't make a determination um, how affected somebody is. And that's another reason this is so important. You know, that order says that if you have reason to believe they're impaired, um, they could be substantially impaired and you wouldn't know it. And, and for somebody using a firearm, engaging in deadly physical force, getting involved in a shootout, that is a major, I've been there, that's a major problem. All right. Well, we appreciate it so much. Uh, the train has left the station on this stuff. Wow. Uh, maybe we need somebody, we need a better mayor. And let's see what happens on that score. Commissioner Carrick, thank you very much. And Luke, thank, thank you. you. Uh, let me do me a favor. I want to make sure we get the information about uh, learn about Sam, S-A-M dot org. This is the smart approaches to marijuana. Learn about Sam dot org. 
uh, and you can find out more about the organization and Luke Niferatos. Thank you both. We'll be right back. Hey, it's a great series on Rob Schmidt's show at 7 o'clock. All right, check it out. I always do. Have a good one, and we'll see you tomorrow. Many thanks.